Hello, and welcome to Gilead. I'm Rebecca Anderson. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm glad you found us. This week's episode is a sermon from the last week in August 2022. Frankly, I wasn't even supposed to be preaching, so let's cut me some slack. Our prompt for the night was, it didn't fit me at all when. Here's a sermon from August 28, 2022. Finally, Paul writes, at the end of my favorite epistle, we all have one. Finally, he writes after some very bad theology right before these verses. Even my favorite epistle isn't perfect. Finally, Paul writes to a new struggling church trying to figure out how to be in the middle of the tides and currents of their broader culture. Should they resist, assimilate? I mean, probably the Ephesians weren't sitting around wondering, should we assimilate? But they were in a period of discernment about what was next for them as a church. Finally, Paul writes in Ephesians 6, be strong in God and in the strength of God's power. Put on the whole armor of God so you can stand against the wiles of the devil. In Greek, that's diabolos, prone to slander, slanderous, accusing falsely. One, a false accuser, a slanderer, or two, a metaphor applied to a person who by opposing the cause of God may be said to act as the part of the devil, or three, Satan, the prince of demons, the author of evil, persecuting good people, estranging people from God, and enticing them to sin, etc., etc. So let's just go with the slanderer. Finally, Paul writes, our struggle is not against the enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It seemed like a good idea at the time to preach about this passage from my favorite epistle because here, finally, Paul is about to launch into his put on the full armor of God bit. The breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit. It seemed like a good idea because one thing we have not done in this series is talk about how taking on a role that is new to you can be empowering or life-changing or life-saving, faking it until you make it. That was like the prompt until early this morning. Finding out more about who you are by trying something on for size, the upside of taking on an identity, not just shucking one off. You know, we always like to preach one sermon against the grain. I don't know if you know this. So it seemed like a good idea to preach about grounding myself by putting on my feet what Paul calls whatever will make you ready to proclaim a gospel of peace, which I think is a little funny. Like he's happy to spell this whole elaborate metaphor, but then when he gets to the shoes, he's like, where, um, whatever is going to make you ready. <laughs> so we spent some time in staff meeting, Googling Sunday school coloring pages. There were these like happy little Roman soldiers wearing their breastplates of righteousness and carrying their shields of faith. And we found a bunch of Renfair looking guys, an anime looking soldier with her long hair flowing out from under her helmet of salvation. And there were some belts of truth that were like behaving pretty suspiciously. <laughs> and then we started to lamp about the unnamed parts about the, of the whole armor of God, like not nuanced, but evocative, like the panty liner of protection and that kind of thing. And I was like, great, I'm in, I'll preach that. But here, 550 words into this sermon at 7.14 a.m. this morning, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to preach about it. 
all week long, these past two weeks, in fact, trying to find a decent commentary, decent thinking about this passage. I bounced between my go-to books and the Dudes on the Pulpit Fiction podcast, which, if you haven't listened to it, I have saved you the trouble. Uh, these guys saying things like, be ready so you don't have to get ready. <laughs> Preaching on Ephesians 6 started to seem like less and less a good idea. And the longer I sat with it, as I have for two weeks, not just starting this morning, it's shit, seven times, it's 719 now. The longer I sat with it, the image that kept coming to mind was from a different text and another metaphor and a different suit of armor. On either side of a valley, there are armies camped out, and between them, there are waves of heat rising off the ground that distort the view. On one side, the Philistines, invaders who don't belong there, they've already encroached on the land of Judah, and on the other side, the Israelites, led by King Saul, their first king, startup people that have made good, sort of, like an upstart people still figuring out who they are and how they'll be now that they're settling down. And they've been in the land like two or three hundred years, and it's not like no one was there when they got there. They're working on it. So as for the Philistines, they were from Crete, seafaring warriors who settled on the coast of Israel, Palestine, not that much longer after these folks had arrived, but everyone was holding steady. Until the Philistines started to move east, away from the coast, inland toward the heart of the people. And this, this newly appointed king, king over a people who'd never had a king before, was going to stop them. At least he needed to try. So he fought against enemies on every side. He like fought them valiantly, and he rescued Israel from the hands of those who plundered them. But there was still hard fighting to come against the Philistines. And any strong or valiant warrior that King Saul laid eyes on, Saul took into his service of defeating them. So Saul's there with the best of the best around him. Army of Israel, they're all camped out. And the armies on the opposite mountains were eyeing each other. And as much activity as there was in the camps, the valley between them was empty and still and quiet, except for twice a day. Because every morning and every evening, into the valley stepped a champion, giant of a guy, kitted out in 100, 125 pounds of, army, of armor. He was carrying a spear and a javelin, and he was preceded by his shield bearer, and that is not the armor I'm thinking of. Miles away from the stalemate on either side of the valley, there was a kid tending sheep. So it's after lunch now, y'all. I was writing this morning at 7.19, and then I went to my other job, and now it's early afternoon in the sermon text. <laughs> uh, but before time was so short, during these whole two weeks, I've been trying to think of times that I borrowed authority from someone else. Times when I acted as if, and it worked. Times when I played a part and it opened up something new in me. I consider talking about power poses, even if that whole theory has been debunked and then the debunkment has been questioned. Like maybe there's still something to it. Or I could tell a story about my friend Alexa's little kid borrowing authority from his imagination. It's a story he like imagines himself pooping on a thing that he was scared of in real life, but like, A, it didn't quite fit, and B, it seems like something I've probably told before. <laughs> so it's 1.30 this afternoon, and I'm making cobbler for dinner tonight. 
back to the shepherd. <laughs> so his older brothers were part of Saul's army. And in this version of the story, his dad sent him to check on them, bring food, supplies from home, get word of their well-being, and take it back to the family. So that's how it was that David, the shepherd, came to be there one morning outside the valley when Goliath, the kitted out Philistine, stepped out from the Philistines' line and yelled his little twice daily taunts across the breach. Goliath derided Saul's army and demanded just one person, just one person, come out and fight me, send your best. We'll have a one-on-one -on -one fight and we'll let that settle the whole matter. And the adults who were camped out there were used to it. Like every morning and every evening, Goliath roaring at them, reminding them of what was at stake and reminding them how it would go. Every day, starting with the reminder that it was hopeless. And every day, ending with the reminder that there was no way out. And here comes the shepherd, and he's a teenager, and he's unjaded, and he's unexhausted, and he hears Goliath yell this just once, and he goes, full teenager. Did you guys hear that? And next thing you know, he's claiming that he used to watch sheep, which was until like 15 minutes ago. <laughs> and now he's ready to fight this guy. And this is why I keep thinking of him. Because after he charms everyone into letting him, a teenage shepherd, fight the Philistines' champion, King Saul dresses David in his, whole, in his own armor, a bronze helmet to save his rash and undeveloped teenager brains from the giant spear, a coat of mail to protect his little self-righteous teenage ribcage, to protect his sternum and his heart that was already in the shape of God's own. Saul gave David his sword, which David strapped on top of everything, and, and he tried in vain to walk. I can't even walk in these, he said to Saul, and he took them off. So reading about the full armor of God this week, these past two weeks, that's all I could picture, that was all I could feel. That wrong-sized, too heavy, inappropriate armor for a battle. I read about how Paul was actually undermining the cultural value of violence by an armored metaphor that was meant for pacifists. I read half a dozen progressive ham-fisted takes on how Christians have failed to be pacifists. Like, yes, I've heard about it. <laughs> and right here, I, I had to put the cobbler back in the oven for a few minutes. So I also like remembered sermons that I've preached about basically being ready so you don't have to get ready. Like, I've done that. And I, I kept picturing David staggering around in that dumb armor that didn't fit, and I just kept hearing the clang and the clatter of Saul's armor as David took it off. I kept feeling the relief of moving lightly and doing what I already know how to do, which is basically what happened for David. He set all that heavy shit down, and he picked up what he knew, and he fucking killed it. I mean, him. He killed him, Goliath. <laughs> And he won honor for Israel, and he laid a foundation for centuries of great Hebrew school and Sunday school crafts. <laughs> so here's where I am, where I, where I was at 2.17 this afternoon. The cobbler is taking longer than I expected, and I have to leave soon. Here's where I am. The cobbler is at home on my stovetop, and I am too tired to pick up someone's big-ass armor. Even, if, even when it's the right thing to do,
Be strong so you can stand against the slanderer, the one who tells you that what you have is not enough when it is. The one who tells you that what you have is enough when it's not. Stand up an army against that bullshit, like metaphorically speaking, because we're pacifists or we're supposed to be. Here's where I am. There's a stalemate sometimes. Every day starting with a sense that it's hopeless. Every day ending with the sense that there's no way out, not if I have only my skills to rely on. So it's just a metaphor. But now that the cobbler is done, I will wander into the costume room and I will pick up this surprisingly heavy helmet some designer has insisted on historical accuracy. The weight of the helmet makes my head wobble. I'll take up the breastplate of righteousness, more righteousness than I possess, and hug it to me. Serpentine belt of truth, here it goes. The sword, the whatever on my feet. Sometimes I can hardly walk for it. But finally, I need to stand strong in someone else. God, I guess, I'm a preacher, I'm a Christian. Stand in the strength of God's power. So it's a metaphor, but I, I pick up the shield of faith and I walk unsteadily out of the wings. And finally, into the lights. <laughs>